Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. It says, immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and they led him away and they delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, it is as you say. And the chief priest accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. But Jesus still answered nothing so that Pilate marveled. Now at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, what then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again. Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more. Crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them. And he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. In the past several weeks, we have followed the servant to an upper room and we have followed the servant to a lonely garden and we followed the servant into a crowded courtroom. We see the servant betrayed, denied tried and now in our passage in mark we focus on jesus before the roman governor pontius pilate in the trial before the religious leaders that is the sanhedrin jesus is accused of blasphemy but now in the trial before pilate jesus is accused of being the king of the jews by the way in verse 2 pilate asks are you the king of the Jews? This is an important question. And it's the only question that Jesus chooses to answer. The fact that Pilate asks the question reveals that Jesus is being tried not for religious reasons, but he's being tried for political reasons. But before the trial is over, Pilate will be convinced of several things. Number one, he's going to be convinced that the Jews have delivered Jesus over for petty, unprovable crimes. Whatever religious claims were being disputed, Pilate knew that the chief priests were envious of Jesus' popularity among the people. What Pilate didn't realize was that Jesus is the most dangerous man that he would ever meet. 
that he's the most dangerous man in the world. He's not just simply the most dangerous man in the Roman Empire. The servant Jesus is delivered into the hands of Rome. And by the way, this is the first real confrontation between Caesar and Christ. Jesus isn't dangerous because he commands an innumerable army of warriors, although he does. Jesus isn't dangerous because he can overthrow the empire with just a word, but he can. Jesus is dangerous because he can overthrow any empire and every empire. Jesus can tear down every system, whether the system is religious, whether the system is political, whether the system is psychological, whether it takes place inside of the human heart. Jesus is dangerous because he can destroy the works of darkness. And he will. By dying. This is important. Jesus is dangerous because sin can be forgiven. And Jesus is dangerous because hearts can be changed. And Jesus is dangerous because people can be restored to the creator of the universe. And Pilate has no idea. And I'm sure that Pilate never thought for a moment, he never dreamed in his wildest dreams that his judgment about the Galilean peasant would accomplish the Lord's ultimate goal. And number two, I'm sure that when Pilate squared off with Jesus, he had no idea that one day the tables would be reversed. That one day... In a heavenly inquisition, Jesus would be the Lord and the judge and Pilate would be the condemned subject. And I'm sure that Pilate didn't wake up that morning and say, today, 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 I'm going to make the most important decision that I will ever make in my petty bureaucratic career. And each of you will make decisions. You'll make a decision about who you'll marry. Where you will live. You'll make a decision about what you will do. You'll make decision after decision after decision. But the most important decision that you will ever make will be that decision. When you decide between life and death. When you decide between darkness and light. When you decide between heaven and hell. And number three, we all have to make decisions about Jesus. We have to render a judgment and embrace the consequences of that judgment. And number four, there's always, there's always, there's always a great danger when truth is placed in the hands of wicked men and women. Because when you place truth in your hands, you will do one of two things with it. You will accept it or reject it. You'll embrace it or neglect it. And that is the danger because resisting and rejecting the truth leaves you in a precarious situation. And that is you will lack purpose and direction if you neglect or ignore or reject the truth. So look at the accusations of the religious leaders in verse 1. Immediately 
Mark's favorite word. In the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Remember, in the evening, they had found him guilty of blasphemy. They had a kangaroo court. They brought the charges. They gathered the rest of the Sanhedrin in the morning. In John chapter 18, verse 28, it says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was very early morning. But they themselves didn't go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover, unquote. The trial, the accusations, the inquiry, the scourging is going to take place in just a matter of moments. As a matter of fact, in chapter 19 of John's Gospel, he records the actual hour using Roman time. In verse 14, John writes, Now, it was the preparation day of the Passover, about the sixth hour. Roman time was calculated from midnight. Hour one, hour two, hour four, hour five, hour six. This would mean that Jesus is brought to the praetorium at six o'clock in the morning and the clock will start ticking. Six o'clock will become seven o'clock and seven o'clock will become eight o'clock. And by the time nine o'clock rolls around, Jesus will be on a Roman cross. Remember, the Jews had lost the right to inflict capital punishment. And remember, it was almost impossible to get a verdict of guilty in a Jewish court because of the pressing needs and the amount of evidence that was necessary. And so they had to appeal to Rome. Capital punishment was Rome's prerogative. Guilty verdicts in capital crimes... And execution could be only made by the Romans. And you have to understand something. The Romans had made law an art form. In Rome, there were elaborate rites. There were elaborate rules. There were elaborate punishments. It was said in the ancient world that the Jews gave us religion and the Greeks gave us culture. But the Romans gave us the law. And the legal system of Rome, by the way, would provide the basis of law for all of Western civilization. And it would provide the skeleton, if you will, for our own government right here, right now. Roman trials always included four elements. There was always an indictment or an accusation, number one. There was always an examination, number two, by the presiding officer or the judge. And the Roman procurator would serve as the judge because Judea was the outermost province of the Roman Empire. And number three, the defense of the accused in the matter would be given. And during the defense, the accused was allowed to petition. The accused was allowed to summon witnesses. The accused was allowed to call forth advocates on the accused's behalf. And then the fourth element that was always present was a verdict. Indictment, accusation, examination, defense, verdict. And by the way, the accusation is found in John's Gospel, chapter 18. If you just turn over there real quick. In John, chapter 18, beginning in verse 29. John eighteen twenty-nine. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, 
If he were not an evil doer, we would not have delivered him up to you. The charge? Look, he wouldn't be here unless he was guilty. Does that sound like a charge to you? Can you imagine going to a court and the judge says, what is he accused of? And, and the prosecutor says, look at him, he's as guilty as sin. We wouldn't have him here unless he was guilty. Then Pilate said to him, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore, the Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Remember, in verse 2, Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, it is as you say. This is the only question that Jesus will answer, and he will respond in the affirmative. And by the way, his response becomes his affirmative defense. If someone asks him, are you a king? And he says, I am in fact a king. He is the descendant of King David. He is the king of the universe. He's the king of heaven. He's created the heavens and the earth. If he said, if he's asked the question, are you a king? And he answers no, would he be telling the truth or would he be telling a lie? He would be telling a lie. And so he of necessity has to give the answer. And look what it says in verse 3. And the chief priest accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And remember, the accusations are met with silence. And you can hear the accusations being met. He, 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 they're they're going to accuse him of being a witch. They're going to accuse him of being a sorcerer. They're going to accuse him of seducing the people. They're going to accuse him of petty crimes and misdemeanors. They're going to accuse him of everything imaginable. And he doesn't dignify their accusations with a response. And I need to ask you a question. And it's the question that you should ask the, the, the text because the text is telling you that he was silent. And then you should ask the question, Jesus, why are you silent? Let's give some plausible suggestions. Is Jesus silent because he's afraid? No, I don't think so. Is Jesus silent because he's indifferent? I don't think so. Several suggestions have been offered. We know from Luke's gospel that he's accused of perverting the people, forbidding them to give tribute to Caesar, calling himself a, a king. And by the way, that's the charge that's going to capture Pilate's attention. When Jesus says, it is as you say, Jesus, again, is affirming his identity. He can't keep silent. Let's ask another question. Is he silent because he's angry? No. So it's not fear. It's not contempt. It's not anger. So why is he silent? I think that the answer is found in prophecy. The answer is Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep is silent before its shearers are silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Even at this point, he's fulfilling the prophecy. 
In verse 4, it says, Then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. Do you remember in another gospel, Pilate says, Don't you understand what's going on here? Don't you understand that I have the ability to punish you, set you free? I can lift you up. I can tear you down. I can set you free or I can kill you. And do you remember Jesus looks at him with those penetrating eyes and he answers him and he says, you would have no authority whatsoever unless it was given to you from someone else. True, huh? Pontius Pilate has been made the procurator by Tiberius, the emperor. He is there under the auspices of Rome. In verse 5 it says, but Jesus still answered nothing so that Pilate marveled. We're given a glimpse into the majesty and the meekness of our Savior. Pilate marvels. In other words, this hardened Roman procurator who has been around the block, who has seen life and death, is blown away. By the majesty and the demeanor of Jesus. And we also understand that he is going to make a conscientious effort to let him go. Who is this guy, Pilate? Well, secular history paints a grim picture. I have done a great deal of research and I've read maybe two or three biographies of Pilate, and I have read every single citation that I could find in ancient literature. He's allegedly from Spain. He was allegedly from Seville. Other people say Italy. Some say Germany. The strongest seems to be Spanish. He joined the legions of Germanicus in the wars of the Rhineland. Germanicus was the brother of Tiberius and who was slated by Augustus to be the emperor of Rome when Pilate left the army. And remember, he leaves the army to go to Rome to seek his fame and his fortune. But he is a man on the fast track, if you will, to the upper echelons of Roman leadership, he goes to Rome and he meets and marries a young girl named Claudia, Procula. She's the youngest daughter of Julia, who is the only daughter of the Emperor Augustus. And again, I've been able not to find any history historical sources to confirm this, but this seems to be the traditions that arose in the early church. If you don't know anything about Augustus, he had no children except for Julia, and Julia was a disgrace. She was, how shall we say, a woman with no boundaries or no borders. She would do anything with anyone if it suited her purposes. She was a disgrace and an embarrassment to her father, and her father would exile her and, and, and distance himself from her. And by the way, when Tiberius ascended the throne, one of his first official acts was to order Julia to be starved to death. And Tiberius makes Pilate the emperor after Gratus. 
Pilate's track record is immediately bad and filled with controversy. He is hated by the Jews. When he is appointed procurator, the very first thing that he does is he lands in Caesarea or Caesarea by the sea. He establishes an outpost. He is headquartered there. He marches to Jerusalem where the temple is. He establishes yet another palace. He brings with him a set of shields. That bears the image of the emperor of Tiberius made out of solid gold and silver. And he puts it in the palace precinct. And he is immediately met with pleas from the local population to remove them. That they are a a blasphemy and an eyesore to the Jewish people. And Pilate responds by ordering dozens of people into the arena to be put to death. Those who continued to protest, he put them to death. Until a line started to form outside of the palace where Jew after Jew bore their necks rather than endure the image. And a delegation was sent to Rome and he was put on suspension. Pilate then stole money from the temple treasury. Or he would say he re-diverted the money in order to finance an aqueduct and a water system. The water system was hopelessly out of date. So Pilate built an aqueduct so that there would be flowing water, so that there would be running water and Roman baths available to all. But because he stole the money from the treasury, he was hated, hated and despised. And Jesus knew all of this. And so the accusation is made. And Pilate examines the prisoner. As a matter of fact, if you go back to John's Gospel, chapter 18. In John's Gospel, chapter 18, beginning in verse 34, we read. Well, we'll begin in verse 33. Pilate entered the praetorium again, saying, Jesus called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king for this reason. I came in. I was born and came into this world and that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him. What is the truth? And he went out again to the Jews. And note in John chapter 18, verse 38, because this is very important. He said to them, I find no fault in him at all. In the ancient world of Rome, that was called a summary judgment. Even in modern jurisprudence, it's called a summary judgment. A summary judgment is a judgment that means I have found this person not guilty. Accusation. King. Summary judgment. Not guilty. Jesus' defense. 
no defense. Now, part of the thing that I want you to understand is that Jesus is going to stand in front of this mortal judge so that you can stand in front of an immortal judge. So that you can receive mercy and eternal life. Imagine you went to a court and the first thing out of the judge's mouth is, I find you not guilty. Don't you think that the trial should end at that point? But do you think that that's how the trial is going to go when you get to heaven? Can you imagine if the accuser of the brethren says, the Lord says, why is this person here? This person, what are you accused of? What is Satan going to accuse you of? What if they say, bring in the films of your life, and then all of a sudden, you're looking pretty good till you hit about the age of three, and then you realize things are going to be really problematic for you. They go to four, then five, then 12, then 15, then 20, and if you're fortunate enough to live through your 20s and into your 30s, are they going to provide enough evidence to To find you guilty, not of just one thing or two things or three things or four things. When each and every guilty verdict is punishable by eternal separation. Thank God there's a Jesus. Who's both judge and jury. It says in verse 6. Now, at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Now, this is interesting because Pilate has already found him not guilty, but the crowd will have no part of it. Can you imagine the judge renders the verdict not guilty and the crowd begins to cry and scream and they cry and they scream for blood. They're right on the very precipice of some sort of riot. So Pilate's going to try a new tactic. They have a ritual of releasing a prisoner during the feast day. Pilate thought that he would appeal to the people to secure the release of Jesus. But the chief priest, remember, look again in verse 11. It says, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that they would rather release Barabbas. We don't know very much about Barabbas. He's called a thief and a murderer. The Bible uses a term A notorious prisoner. He's been involved in some kind of revolt. He has been caught. And I am sure that the cross that had been hewn and that was shaped and fitted, it was fitted for Barabbas. Can you imagine the cross that was literally intended for Barabbas now becomes the cross that Jesus must hang from. And tradition gives us a name for Barabbas. His name Bar means son, Abbas means father, but according to hints in Matthew and early church documents, he was called Yeshua. His name was Jesus, Barabbas. Jesus, son of the father, Jesus of Nazareth, 
to Jesus one cross, who will die? Pilate would rather have the rebel and the killer of his own countrymen. Pilate wants the notorious criminal. It's interesting that Barabbas, the son of his father, becomes a type and a picture of all sons, all daughters who are born in this world. Donald Gray Barnhouse writes, we are all of Adam's race. We've been bound over for our sedition against God. We are robbers of his glory. We are murderers of our souls and the souls of others. We found ourselves bound in the darksome prison house of sin. We feel in our hearts that we merit the sentence that has been announced to us and we wait in trembling the time of judgment and there is that sense in in which we understand that each and every one of us is on our way to a judgment that will take place in the not too distant future. We will stand before God. You know what I've discovered? That if you do a careful research of prisoners who are awaiting execution throughout time and space and history, prisoners do strange things. If you knew you were being crucified, if you knew you were being hung, men who were being hung would just kind of put their hands on their throat as they anticipate the reality that is about to take place. And in the early years of the gas chamber, do you know what prisoners would do before they were gassed to death? They would be seen inside of their prison cells taking deep breaths. To see how long they could hold their breath before the gas canister drops. Imagine you can make it for one minute or two minutes or three minutes. Imagine you are are pretty remarkable and you could make it as far as five minutes. But eventually the overwhelming need to gasp for air is going to have its way. And you may hide your sin and you may deny your sin and you may renounce the consequences of it. But this is what the Bible says. The soul that sins, it shall surely die. The wages of sin is death. We'll go to extraordinary lengths to avoid our death. We will do whatever is necessary to hang on to life. Look at verse 10, for he knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that they would rather release Barabbas to them. The people choose Barabbas. Of course they do. Of course the world chooses Barabbas. Barabbas is the guy who's going to bring down the system. Barabbas is the guy who's going to burn it all down. Barabbas is the guy who's going to kill the Roman occupiers. Barabbas is the guy who very simply, if you let him go and he starts another disturbance or another riot, you can always call out the National Guard. You can always call out the federal troops or the Marines. You can push a few tanks into the neighborhood. You can squash whatever he's up to. All you have to do is just find out where he lives, confiscate his guns. You can always stop Barabbas. But what do you do with Jesus? 
What do you do with a man who has no guns? He has no tanks. He has no ammunition. And he still has the ability to shake the empire at its very foundations. Donald Gray Barnhouse writes, Why do people choose Barabbas? Barabbas would never really ask to run your life. Barabbas would exploit you, but he wouldn't ask to run your life. Jesus would ask for the right to rule over your life. And that's the problem. Men would rather be enslaved to tyranny than let Jesus rule their lives. They would rather be exploited than let Christ determine their lives. So they scream. Give us Barabbas, unquote. Isn't that interesting? Do you know someone who would rather have religion than relationship with Jesus? Do you know someone who says, look, I know what I have now and I don't want God and I don't want religion and I don't want Jesus because I know exactly what Jesus is going to ask for. He's going to ask for my whole life, my whole heart, my whole future. And we sing a song. Do you hear your own voice mingled in the crowd? I hear my voice call out among the scoffers. You know, it's interesting. The crowds are calling for Yeshua, Barabbas, not Yeshua, the king, the Galilean from Nazareth. Most people do cry out for Jesus. But it's not the Jesus in the Bible. It's not the Jesus of the New Testament. They cry out for a Jesus, but he might be the spirit brother of Lucifer. They cry out for Jesus, and he might be the archangel Michael. They cry out for a Jesus, a Jesus who will ask you different things. He'll talk about religion, but he will make no demands on you. He won't require pain or persecution or a cross. They call for Barabbas because they want to ignore the demands of the cross. The cross given to Jesus intended for Barabbas and look at verse 12 Pilate answers and says to them what do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews and you know what the rest of the passage says and other parts of the New Testament they said Caesar is our king Jesus isn't our king they cried out in verse 13 crucify him Verse 14, then Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? Pilate lived in a world where if you were going to be put to death, you usually had to be guilty of something. And what exactly is Jesus guilty of? What crimes has he committed? What sin? What trespass? How different, how different, how different in heaven if God turns to Satan and says, why, what evil has she done? Does the devil have sufficient ammunition? Well, 
what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what about this? Because guess what? You will, I guarantee you, you will stand before Jesus and there will be a trial and there will be a verdict and the verdict will be based on what you actually did or based on Grace and mercy as you've cried out to Jesus, as you've looked to him to be the author and the finisher of your faith. But they cried out all the more, crucify him. In verse 15, so Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. In a single sentence, we discover that Pilate's plan backfires. The crowd would rather have a controllable criminal. He scourges Jesus. But remember, in that single sentence, it says he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him. Do you remember, according to Matthew and according to Luke, he scourges him in order to elicit sympathy from the crowd. If they press the crown of nails on his head, if they open up his back, maybe if you see a bruised and beaten Jesus who in his innocence is being unjustly accused, maybe even in the wickedness of your heart, you'll have some sympathy. But again, the further delay fulfills yet another prophecy. By his stripes we are healed. Mercifully, Mark's gospel spares us the gory details. Mark is writing to a group of Romans. Mark is writing to freedmen and slaves. Mark is writing to a group of people who would have understand who would have understood scourging and they would have understood crucifixion. But the crowd isn't gratified. One last attempt. Do you remember in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, verse 19? Claudia, Procula, daughter of Julia, granddaughter of the emperor, sends a hurried message to the judgment seat. As Pilate sits on the judgment seat, his wife sends him a message. Have nothing to do with this just man, for I've just suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Pilate has already issued a verdict of innocence. Pilate has already offered to let him go. Pilate has already offered a little bit of blood to satiate the crowd. Now his wife warns him. Superstition? Was the dream from God? Or was the dream from the devil? Whatever the source... Whatever the source, I'm going to suggest to you that it was a warning. The law begged Pilate to do what's right. But he caves into the mob. His conscience begs him to do what's right. His wife begs him to do what's right. He resists the truth from the law. He resists the truth from the warning. He resists the truth from his own conscience. 
emboldened perhaps by his wife's dream, he makes one last attempt. Is there some other way? Does this man really have to die? And in an earthly sense, Jesus dies because of the hatred of the religious authorities. The Bible says he comes into his own and his own receives him not. The injustice and beatings and humiliation by themselves wouldn't be enough to atone for sin. And we we ask the question, was it the Jews who killed him? The answer is yes. Was it the Romans who killed him? The answer is yes. Was it the past sin that killed him? The answer is yes. Was it the present circumstance that killed him? And the answer is yes. And would the future kill him? Would the future of every single person who would ever live and who would ever die, every single life lived in every single generation, would heap sin and humiliation on top of them? And you see, we will never understand the death of Jesus until we grasp that God the Father allows Jesus to be put to death. Did Roman soldiers nail him to a cross? Yes. But the servant was delivered to fulfill the plan of God. Pilate has found him not guilty. Pilate tries to free him with a goodwill gesture. Pilate scourges him in the hope that this will satisfy the crowds. But remember what the crowds say. If you let him go, then Caesar's not your friend. Who is Caesar? Tiberius. Who gave him the job? Tiberius. Has he already got a broken track record? Yes. By the way, he will be relieved of duty in 37 AD, just as an aside. Donald Gray Barnhouse writes, The Lord Jesus Christ didn't come into the world to set up a code of ethics or found a new religion. He came to fulfill the purpose that was ordained before the foundation of the world. Again, Barnhouse writes, When he came as a baby... He took on bodily form in order to die. The purpose of having hands was that they might be pierced. The purpose of having feet was that a spike might be driven through them. The purpose of having a head was so that a crown of thorns would be thrust upon it. It was by Jesus' death and the great tension within God himself that had to be resolved. Unquote. And then he writes, God has just as much hatred for my sin as he has love for my soul. How can God strike my sin without destroying me? Isn't that a great question that Barnhouse asks? How is it possible for God to wash me and cleanse me of the scourge of me, of the wickedness inside of me? How is God going to be able to make my rebellion and my wickedness and my sin go away? He's going to send his son. And his son will die. The answer is Jesus. The servant is delivered for our deliverance. And by the way, when Mark wrote these words, the church in Rome, they were a group of people facing extinction. The writer of this gospel would be killed by Nero. A short while after that, both Peter and Paul would be killed. Paul warned that those who would live godly in Christ Jesus would suffer. Persecution. The people understood that there were decisions that had to be made. 
when you choose between truth and peace. Well, I just want to have peace with my family. I want to have peace with my wife. I want to have peace with my husband. I want to have peace with the past. And if that means rejecting Jesus, if that means walking away from Jesus, if that means denying the Bible, I just want to have peace in the family. But sometimes you have to say, you know what? I am going to embrace the truth no matter how much difficulty it's going to cause me. Because there are voices that call for our attention. When my children were very, very young, we got them a puppy. Miguel, my oldest. Anthony, the middle. Jonathan, the youngest. They would tease this dog. They would each call for the puppy. Come here, come here, come here. And the puppy would head for Miguel, and then the puppy would head for Jonathan, and the puppy would head for Anthony. And this is exactly the picture we see with Pilate. The voices, the voices are crying out. Max Lucado writes, He tries to give the people Barabbas, but they want Jesus. He sends Jesus to the whipping post. They send him to Golgotha. He states that he finds nothing against the man. They accuse Pilate of violating the law. Pilate is afraid of who Jesus might be. And so he tries one more time to release him. The Jews accuse him of betraying Caesar. So many voices. The voice of compromise. The voice of expedience. The voice of politics. The voice of conscience. And then the soft, firm voice of Christ. The only power you have over me is the power that's been given to you by God. Jesus' voice is distinct, unique. He doesn't cajole or plead. He just states the case. And Pilate thought that he could avoid making the choice. He washes his hands of Jesus. He climbs up on the fence and he sits down. But in not making a choice, Pilate makes a choice. Rather than ask for God's grace, he asks for a bowl. Rather than invite Jesus to stay, he sends him away. Rather than hear Christ's voice, he hears the voice of the people. And legend has it that Pilate's wife became a believer. And legend has it that Pilate's eternal home is a mountain lake where he daily surfaces, still plunging his hands into the water, seeking forgiveness forever. Trying to wash away his guilt. Not for the evil that he did. But for the kindness that he refused to do. Unquote. But it is, after all, only a legend. What is true? What is true? Pilate asked the question. Paul, Pilate's role was to arrive at a just judgment based on the truth, and I need to tell you something. It's your role as well. It is your role to arrive at a just judgment based on the truth because. The truth is that God has given you the ability to choose or choose otherwise. To embrace the message of hope or to reject it. To cry out to him for forgiveness and love and grace and mercy. 
or to plunge your hands into the bowl of yet another excuse. The problem? Peace at the expense of truth eventually means that you will have neither peace nor the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that there are so many voices that cry out to us. The voice to stay. The voice to walk away. The voice to believe. And the voice not to believe. Lord, we know that so many people would choose darkness over light. And they would choose a lie over the truth. Lord, it is uncomfortable when our sin is exposed. But it is so glorious to know that there's a Savior willing to forgive us and willing to cleanse us and willing to give us eternal life. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that that's exactly what you would do, that you would knock on the surface of the soul, that the voice of invitation would be made, And the voice of exclamation heard, I'll wash you, I'll forgive you, I'll have you, I'll love you, I'll redeem you, I will reconcile you. In Jesus' name.